We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've been working through it over the last couple of months. So if you want to turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you have a Bible with you. If not, you can just uh, Google the verses. I'm sure you'll be able to find them. And we're going to read just two verses today. As we go through the rest of chapter 5, we're going to slow down a little bit and just take a few verses at a time because there's lots of... Uh, meat for us to get into here. So let me just read verses 12 and 13 to us, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will study these verses together. It says, We ask, ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that whatever season we're walking through, even in the midst of a global pandemic, we have a God who's with us. That's just such a wonderful truth. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, is to know that not only do we have a Father in heaven who loves us, but he's a God who's with us. And not only did you send your son to live amongst us and to die for us and to rise again, but now you sent your spirit into our hearts, this inner witness of your incredible love for us. And however social distance we feel from one another, however cut off we feel from normal life, we can never be distanced from you now. That you are our friend who's come near to us. You're our our father who loves us dearly. And I pray that as we look at these verses today, you would draw our heart to you. That as we sing and as we worship today, you would remind us of your deep love for us and your, your nearness to us, your people. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to be honest with you right at the start here. This isn't an easy verse or easy few verses to, to preach about because it's Paul is... The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, is giving them some very simple instructions, possibly because they've not done very well at this. Perhaps they've been disrespectful to their leaders, and he's saying to them, respect and esteem highly those who, who are over you in the Lord. And for a leader to then try and explain these verses back to you makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, I'll be honest. But I think one of the reasons... It feels uncomfortable is because these verses are probably in some way or other uncomfortable to all of us. Because uh, from whatever different society or cultural background you come from, wherever you grew up, whatever experiences you've had, we've all learned different ways to relate to leadership, to relate to authority. And it's a very confused concept in the world. On one hand, all of us or lots of people will desire to be an an influencer or a shaper or a consultant or to be on social media and lead people by influence. And yet at the same time, we never want to be 
under someone's influence. We never want to be under authority. There's something within us that always wants to rebel against that. There's something within us that doesn't like authority. And let me try and pinpoint a few reasons why particularly people in our Western society in a city like this in Amsterdam, a few reasons why we struggle with authority. First of all, uh, what, uh, a concept which you could call entitlement culture. To give you a brief history lesson, 500 years ago during the Reformation, where uh, men like John Calvin and Martin Luther decided to uh, uh, take a stand against the abusive authority of the Roman Catholic Church at the time, and they tried to, to challenge that, to say to them, we don't need a, a priest, a mediator between us and God. We don't need to just have the Bible in Latin. We can have the Bible in our own language. We don't need to embrace all these indulgences of, sort of trying to pay back for our faith. And they fought a wonderful battle that has shaped the culture of the church ever since. But also one of the, the spin-offs of the Reformation was how it's partly helped to shape the whole culture around us. Because one of the key messages from the Reformation was that of, of liberation. That we don't need to, to have a mediator or a priest between us and our true mediator, Jesus Christ. We don't need to be under the oppressive authority of a church which isn't seeking to honor the word of God. And from that, you, that was a key part of the, I guess what you could call the birthing of the modern self of who we are today, is that more and more we think as individuals who have a, a, a sense of personal freedom, a sense of liberty, and there's much about that that is good and important. And yet, as well in our culture, we've, over the generations and decades and years since then, we've taken that liberty, that personal freedom, a step further. And we've not just taken ourselves out of the authority of a church institution, but we've taken ourselves out of the authority of God himself. That we've said the most important thing is humanity. It's what I believe, it's who... I want to be who I think I am and not what any God or any oppressive heavenly being says I'm supposed to be. And the modern self has become detached from God, our creator, and seeks to stand on its own two fleet. And in that, we end up taking God's place. And part of what that's led to, particularly in the last 50 to 100 years, is a, a very consumeristic culture. We all live as consumers all the time. Because on our heart, there, there are things, not that just things that we, we need to sustain us in life, but there are things that we, we must have, things that, that we, we deserve to have. I'm entitled to these things. I'm entitled to the best gadgets, the best technology, the best clothes, the best careers, that I should be able to have everything that I want whenever I want it. That's the, the, what has happened in our culture. We live as entitled consumers. We demand things. We deserve things. But what happens with that sense of entitlement when that gets into your heart? It will lead eventually just to an ongoing sense of 
dissatisfaction because nothing's ever good enough. Nothing ever quite meets your expectations because they're so high. And we end up living like children our entire lives where nothing's ever good enough for us. We always want more. We always want better. And dissatisfaction becomes a way of life. Just living constantly grumpy because you feel like life hasn't met your expectations, that life's really just let you down. The thinker Paul Tournier said that no gift can bring joy to the one who has a right to everything. Let me read that again. No gift can bring joy to the one who has a right to everything. When you think that you deserve everything, even the best gift that someone can offer you will never quite be enough. And when we bring that entitled heart into the church, well, then it means we end up, we live in this fantasy world of imagining this perfect church community and these perfect leaders and everything has to be exactly as you want it, that we want a church, we want a, a, a preacher, we want a, a worship time that will fit exactly what we want it to be like, that will fit with our own personal belief system. We want the Bible to match up with what I believe first and foremost. And when those things don't meet our expectations, we feel let down, dissatisfied. And the reality is that you probably have noticed this already, but the church isn't perfect. Our church isn't perfect. The church has never been perfect. If you go right back, if you read some of Paul's letters, even the letter here where Paul is having to tell them to respect their leaders, it's probably because they weren't respecting them. That they, there was some brokenness in their community. In, in some of Paul's other letters, he's even more harsh. He writes to the church in Galatia and says, you foolish Galatians, because they weren't a perfect church, because they were doing some silly things. And if you come into the church expecting it to be perfect, then you'll end up being let down that leaders will let you down in the church, that your friends, people in your community group will let you down. And we live in a messy, broken, fallen world. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to build a better church, or strive to love one another better and better, to serve one another as best we can. Yes, we should, of course. But we must be aware of this driving motive in our heart that always wants something perfect, when in this life that's not going to happen and we have to recognize that heart within us and keep bringing that to Jesus. The other big issue is, whereas the entitled heart always puts uh, uh, the church and leaders on a pedestal and says that they must be perfect, there's also the opposite dynamic of that of thinking that authority is somehow inherently bad, that authority, leadership, is perhaps necessary but evil, essentially. This kind of anti-authoritarian streak in society that always wants to bring institutions and leaders down, that we believe everything is somehow flawed, that everything is systemically failed and we must destroy and destruct everything. 
Now, I'm not saying that in some instances there isn't systemic failure and issues with institutions. There clearly are. But it doesn't mean we have to point our finger at everything and constantly be bringing everything down, seeking to pull everything and deconstruct everything. Because actually that's not the response the Bible gives us. Even on uh, yesterday, as a leadership team, we had to make a decision about what we were going to do about our Sunday gatherings. And the principle we have to come back to is Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that have existed have been instituted by God. That means that every leader, wherever you look in the world, has been put there by God. If we really believe in a sovereign God who's in charge of all things, that means he puts leaders in place. And as much as we can, we should seek to honor them and the laws that put, they put in place and, and the instructions for how to do society. And the Bible doesn't say um, only honor and respect and follow good authority. It also says even when, even when authority is bad, even when the people are not doing good things, we're still supposed to follow them. In Matthew 23, we're going to read a bit from Matthew 23 later, you get Jesus talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's the chapter where Jesus again and again says, woe to you Pharisees. And it lists off all these different woes, different ways that they are being bad leaders. But right at the start of the chapter, he, he tells the people, he says, do as they say, not as they do. That's in the Bible. Jesus says to them, do as they say. We're supposed to honor them because God's put them in that position but don't live as they're living because that's sinful. And that gives us a good principle that we need to follow authorities wherever or not we think they're good people or not. Now, obviously, when authority disobeys God directly, that's our ultimate authority. So that's when we step back and say, well, I'm not going to follow this. This is telling me to do something other than what the Bible is teaching us. But as I thought it was really helpful what Michiel did at the start, that he led us in praying for the Burkemeister, the mayor of our city. I think that's such an important thing to do. The Bible teaches that we should honor leaders and we should pray for them. And we must keep on doing that. So authority has a place in the world. And authority also has a place within the church. And you might say, well, well why? You know, surely it says even in this verse itself, just be at peace among yourselves. Surely if we could just do that, if we would just be at peace among ourselves, we wouldn't need any leaders, we wouldn't need any pastors, just defund all the pastors, we don't need those people anymore. But the reality is we, the Bible does give us some clear instructions about this. If the church was just a kind of loose collective, just a sort of floating kind of ethereal thing, then we probably wouldn't need any leaders. But that's not how the Bible describes the church. The Bible talks about the church on one hand as the sort of universal church around the world, believers everywhere through all history, a part of the, this kind of global church. But at the same time, the New Testament calls us and instructs us to be part of local church families, communities of believers seeking to live out the work of Jesus together. And those communities need pastors, need leaders. 
Because essentially the church is supposed to be a family. Perhaps for some people, the truest, well, to be honest for all of us, the truest family we'll ever experience. That's what the church is supposed to be. A family where we love for one another, we care for one another. And families need mums and dads. Families need fathers. The Bible's really clear about that. Leaders aren't in the church aren't supposed to be CEOs, consultants, gurus, spiritual counselors. That's not the language the Bible uses. Leaders in the church are to be fathers, seeking to care and love and shepherd people. So that authority that comes with that isn't a necessary evil, but it's supposed to be a good thing, a wonderful blessing to the community and that community to be a blessing to the city around it. Now, an important question is, but what about abuse? What about where authority has been abused? And that's true that sadly many people have been hurt. Many, many people have been hurt by authority figures, whether in the home, in your workplace, sadly within the church as well. Many people have experienced uh, some very painful journeys and stories with authority. And we mustn't just brush that aside and say, oh, just forget all that. No, that's that we need to, we need to hear and love people who are carrying pain from when they've been hurt by those who shouldn't have hurt them. They've been hurt by those who should have cared for them. That's painful. We mustn't just brush those aside. And as I said, when we see anything that contradicts Scripture, in Acts 5, it says we, we, we obey God first, always. That's who we come to, first of all. That means we can disobey men if they're telling us to disobey God. And so we must speak out and speak up when we see abuse. But perhaps the, the greatest abuse that happens, not just in the church all over the world, but particularly in the church, the greatest abuse actually is where we desire uh, leaders that are kind of Marvel superheroes, or where leaders themselves want to be this sort of messianic answer to all the problems that you know Jesus is yeah he leads the church sure but actually I lead the church and if people don't have me then then they're going to crumble this whole thing's going to fall apart we have leaders who 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 acts like heroes that the burden is on them and them alone and often that's actually the sort of leadership we desire we we want those kind of cartoon type heroes to come in and, and save us. You know, if they see the way that we respond even to uh, politicians, they come with grand slogans of how they want to change the world. And it's often almost a bit messianic. They sort of portray themselves as saviors. If you go with that guy, everything's going to fall apart. But if you choose me, everything's going to be amazing. And we, we're called to put our trust in these kind of superhero-like characters that are going to come in and solve all the problems. Whereas the reality is often very different from that. And we see even in the Bible that Jesus' disciples, even the 12 who were closest to him, they wanted Jesus to, to be a superhero. They wanted him to come in 
and to change everything, to overthrow the evil Romans that were oppressing them and to usher in a kind of new era of Israelite superiority, to crush all their rivals, to sort of march into Jerusalem with a mighty army. That's the kind of messianic leader they were expecting because Jesus is our Messiah and that's the hope that they were living with because they'd read the Old Testament and they were seeking this Messiah to come and change everything. But yet the way that Jesus comes to change everything looks very different from how we would expect that he doesn't arrive with a huge army. He doesn't arrive as this stereotypical superhero with a cape and amazing superpowers that he's shooting out wherever he wants to obliterate buildings and enemies. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That's the model, a very almost unheroic kind of leadership that Jesus demonstrates to us. And we could say, hold on a second, is, you know, surely it's a bit of a myth that exists that actually Jesus didn't like authority, that that's uh, something that the church has kind of added to him to legitimize their own authority. And actually, Jesus was just this kind of Che Guevara, kind of revolutionary figure who didn't really, he wasn't into institutions and structures and, and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. He was just, he just wanted to sit around and eat fish and, and come up with parables all day long. And when you read Matthew 23, he does come across as a bit of an anti-authority figure because he takes on the religious authorities of the time and he says to them again and again, woe to you. Woe to you. And he uses some pretty harsh language of how he speaks to them. He calls them hypocrites. He tells them you're, you're proselytizing people, as in you're, you're leading them into your faith, but actually all you're doing is making them children of hell. That's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Pretty strong language. He's calling down their authority. He's saying your authority is illegitimate. It's broken. It's evil. And we might say, yeah, go Jesus. Yeah, anti-authority. Yeah, take down all the leaders. But actually, as we read earlier, Jesus had already told them at the beginning of Matthew 23. He'd said to them, no, do as they say, just don't do as they do. That whether we like it or not, they're in positions of authority and we must honor them. And what Jesus came to do, he didn't come to just eradicate and remove authority, but he came to unmask false authority and to reveal true authority. That's what he came to do. He came to say this kind of heroic type of superhero leadership where people lord themselves over others, trying to influence by coercion and manipulate them and to tell them to do things but not do them themselves. He said, no, that's false, evil leadership. And woe to you who practice that kind of leadership. But then he came to reveal a true, better authority, a better way to lead and to love people. Even in the book of Micah, where it talks about this Messiah who's going to come, this ruler who's going to come, it uses that language of a ruler coming, but it also says he's coming to be a shepherd, one who comes to seek and save his sheep his lost sheep, that's the heart of Jesus for us. And to be a follower of Jesus, maybe you're watching this and you're not a believer in Jesus. 
But to be a follower of him means submitting to his authority in your life. Saying, I'm going to put myself under your lordship, under your care. And I want to do as you say and do as you do. I want to read the Bible and let this be the, the lamp to my feet. Even if it says things that are difficult and I don't want to hear, I want to put myself under your authority. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And we can do that because his authority is perfect. His authority doesn't come with any hidden clauses. It's not imperfect and broken. It's a pure, holy, perfect authority that you can trust and that's good for you. And then it might seem to you as though we've taken quite a long time to get to the passage today, which we have. We've been giving you some context around it. If we get into these verses now, you see that sometimes people would say that that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a, he had some different ideas to Jesus. And that the church loves Paul and they love his, because Paul brings the structure and he appoints elders and leaders in the church. And somehow we often make out that Paul and Jesus somehow differ on this issue. But again, that's not true because Paul himself, if you read his story in the book of Acts, he came almost believing himself in a bit of a, a kind of a savior superhero role, that he was persecuting Christians. He was trying to defend the Jewish faith and he took it upon himself to be this kind of, uh, this leader who crushed this evil Christianity. He tried to be this kind of messianic, heroic leader and God humbled him. And then he ends up saying things like this in Philippians do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That'd be a pretty good life verse to live by. It's not the sort of thing we would like to, to live by, but it's humbling and helpful. But in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's the attitude that Paul took into the world. And when he's saying these things to the church in Thessalonica about how they should respect leaders, that's the attitude he's coming with. And he gives us three points that are really helpful. First of all, he said uh, that, that leaders, leaders toil, leaders labor. He said, those who labor among you. And that's what it is to, to be a leader in the church, to work hard, to strive to toil. It's a, a sacrificial leadership, a leadership that puts others first and seeks to serve them. And our church is full of leaders that do this. People that were here this morning at half past eight, setting up this building, get everything, everything ready. People are here week after week making all happen. The worship band that will be here on a Thursday evening, giving up their time diligently through the week, practicing, rehearsing, getting themselves ready. People who are uh, uh, doing hospitality all the week long, inviting people into their home for meals. Leaders who just pray for you. That's perhaps the main way that leaders labor and work and strive in their leadership is by praying for the church, by loving people through just in a very hidden, quiet way, in a way you will never know about, who pray for you. That's what leaders are called to do, to serve to pray for people, to love them, 
to count them more significant than ourselves. And the next thing he says related to this is that those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, perhaps that might be the most uncomfortable bit of this verse. But leaders are supposed to serve. Here where it's talking about being over in the Lord, it's talking about a sense of taking responsibility, taking a, a, a kind of a fathering oversight, of taking responsibility for those who are in your care. But when we read it in the context of, for instance, Mark chapter 10, which I quoted earlier, even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Leaders are, are over in the sense of responsibility, but are under in the sense of seeking to serve, seeking to put others first. The best leaders, I think, are those who, all the time, their heart is that those who are, they are leading will go, one day will go beyond them. Not necessarily into church leadership, but just in maturity in Christ. You just want to see others flourish. Others just come into their own. Others just, the gifts that God's given them, that they would just run in them. And that if they end up getting more fame, uh, more recognition than, than they do as leaders, brilliant. That's just the heart of a leader is to see others. Not to say, well, you just follow me, just you get behind me, but to say, no, 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 you go ahead. I want to see you flourish in what God's called you to do. I remember when I was about um, 16 or 17 years old, I felt a clear calling from God on my life to be a leader and to plant churches like we've done here in Amsterdam. But I understood it in a very immature way. And I went to my pastor at the time and said, I want to be an apostle. And I chose that word apostle because it seemed like the biggest title you could find in the Bible. You know, if it said, be the supreme ruler of, you know, Colombia, I said, yeah, I want to do that because it sounded cool and grand. And he didn't say to me, Matt, you're being a bit of a twit, you know, just pull yourself together. He didn't say, here's all the ways that you need to just improve in life before we can even have this conversation. You know, first of all, just learn to make some toast. I mean, just anything. Learn to get dressed properly. You know, he didn't say any of that. He just, he encouraged me. And then he gave me hours and hours of his time. And said, look, this is what the Bible says a leader looks like. Let's, let's look at the, the word together. Let's pray together. Because his heart was, he wanted, he wanted me to, to step into the, what God had called me to do. And he didn't want to crush that or demean that. And that was such a great example of the heart of a leader, is to take people, even when uh, their heart appears immature and silly, but to say there's something of gold in there. There's something that God's given you, and we want to see it come to birth, come to life. So leaders are to serve, and leaders are to love and challenge. It says here, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Again, some perhaps difficult words to hear. It says in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Actually, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to tell someone when they're wrong, <laughs> to tell someone when the way they're understanding the Bible isn't, isn't on point, where they've missed it, where they're confused, where what they said to that person was actually a bit hurtful and they need to go and say sorry. And it's not something as leaders we're, we're constantly looking around the church thinking, who can I admonish today? 
in our heart is who can we encourage? Who can we conserve? Who can we bless? But to, from time to time, the best way we can bless and serve and encourage is in put courage into someone's heart is to admonish them, to help them to see where they might need to change, might need to ask for some forgiveness. So how do we follow that kind of leadership? Because that's the point that Paul's trying to make. What does it look like for us to follow? And he, he tells us that we should respect those who are over you in the law and to very highly esteem them, which might seem like in our culture a very peculiar thing to say. But if you can flip those words around, consider the opposite. Consider a church where the leaders were disrespected and were, were trodden down on. They weren't highly esteemed. That wouldn't be a healthy church life. That wouldn't be a healthy community. And that's what he's speaking into. He's encouraging them to respect those whose God's put uh, in authority over you in the church. And that idea of respecting, first of all, that means to, to recognize. Recognize that to be a believer means to be part of a local church and to put yourself in that community and under authority. And that's a choice. You, know, you don't have to do that. If you look at our church and think, yeah, I don't really want to be part of this, you know, that's, no one's going to force you. No one's going to coerce you to do that. It's a choice that we make. But that's something that the Bible encourages us to do, to recognize, and recognize as well that all of us come with all sorts of baggage of how we view leadership. And just recognize that in your own heart. You say, yeah, maybe I've understood leadership a bit poorly. Maybe I've put them on a pedestal. Maybe I've sought to bring them down all the time. But I want to recognize that God's called me to be part of a church family. And that has some implications to it. And secondly, we're told to to honor and follow, to esteem. It doesn't say to do it more highly than we esteem others. We should, the Bible elsewhere in Ephesians 5, in the context of a marriage relationship, it applies to the church as well. Jesus tells us to, to submit to one another. And that's what we do in a church family. Everyone's seeking to submit to one another. It's not saying the leaders tell you what to do and everyone else submits. No, 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 no. We're to serve and love one another, to submit to one another as we need to do, and to honor and to follow. See, that's the best way to esteem a leader is just to follow them. That's what I try to do with people that have been put in authority over me. I want to I follow. That's the best way you can lovingly honor and esteem one is just to follow, and not in a subservient, uh, unthinking way. Ask questions challenge. You, you're always welcome to say, hey Matt, I'm not sure I agree with what you're saying there. Well, great, let's talk about that. There's, that's always open to hear other opinions, other perspectives. That's what it means to follow is to sometimes say, I'm not sure about this, let's talk about that. But I'd encourage you to, to come on mission with us, to seek to build his church in this city together, to seek to serve and love this city, to seek the welfare of this city together. That's how we can esteem authority together, is to go on God's mission together. And as a quick aside here, imagine if you took these principles, not just into the church community, but imagine if you took them into your workplace, because that's probably the authority that most of us feel most of the time is from your boss, or your university lecturer, or whatever it is in your life. Imagine if you sought to respect and highly esteem them 
even when their authority sometimes is a bit squiffy and not helpful, imagine how that would transform your workplace if you didn't engage in all the grumbling and gossip and try all the time bring the leaders down to your level but sought to honour them. That would completely transform the culture of your office. I know many of you would live like that already. But ultimately, I think the, the best, most important thing we need to do the best way to follow is to overthrow the leader within. <laughs> That's the best way you can be part of the church community and to follow Jesus is to overthrow the leader within. Because what Jesus does is in Matthew 23, he doesn't just point the finger at the Pharisees as this poor model of church authority. Actually, if you read it well, he's, he's pointing the finger at us. He accuses them of, of having whitewashed tombs, that, they've, that their hearts, they've whitewashed them, that they've, on the outside, they're portraying this beautiful picture, but on the inside, they're rotten to the core. And so often, that's how we live, that we like to portray to the world this beautiful image of what we're like, but inside, there's a, there's a brokenness. All the time, what we're attempting to do in our life is to, to justify ourselves, to save ourselves, to sometimes all the challenges that are in our way, to kind of overcome them in our own strength. And yet Jesus tells us that our strength is found in weakness, that we overcome by submitting our life to him. That inside of us, all of us have this selfish, entitled heart that wants to lead the way. He doesn't like authority because we want to, do it ourselves and fix it ourselves. And all the time, Jesus challenges again and again, calls us to be followers, to be his children. And he helps us with his beautiful example that all of us need a revolution of the heart. We all need to be part of this sacrificial relationship with him, but that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That what you're trying to do, trying to lead yourself out of all your problems and difficulties and challenges, you'll only ever get so far. You need a savior to come, to bring you true freedom in him, to overcome your enemies that you can't overcome, to fight on your behalf all the battles ahead of you because that's what he's come to do. That's how he's come to serve you to give, by giving his life for you. Let me pray, and then the worship band are gonna come and lead us. Jesus, we thank you so much that, first of all, you've put us in your church family, and we wanna uh, seek to be part of that, to serve it and to love it, knowing ultimately that, Jesus, it's you that leads the church, not me. <laughs> or any other leaders, but Jesus, you're the one who's in charge. We want to submit our life, all of us, to you. And we want to serve this bride, your people. We want to love it wholeheartedly, because that's what you've called us to do. And at the same time, Jesus, we want to recognize your authority and lordship over our lives, and that you're a perfect, perfect savior, our perfect leader. And we could submit our lives to you and trust you wholeheartedly that you're a good father, that you're a good leader who loves us. 
Jesus, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that everyone at home watching this right now, you come and just speak to their hearts. Help them to see where they've, they need to overthrow the leader within who's trying to control and take initiative and solve all the problems themselves. Help them to see where they need to submit their life to you again. Help them to see where they need to just put their trust in you and receive your power, your strength in their weakness. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to serve us by giving your life for us. Amen.